the Passenger Seat Podcast, a podcast designed to fill your passenger seat with chat about classic cars, all recorded from my 1968 Morris Minor Peggy. I'm Becca, and today I'm out running a couple of errands um, and uh, enjoying this awful dreary weather. Um, hopefully it's just enough bright enough for you to kind of make me out if you're watching on the YouTube channel, um, and if you're listening in on Spotify, you've got the atmosphere there described for you to imagine. My quirk of classic car ownership for you today is uh, how we can all talk about the slight modifications and slight changes that we've made to our cars uh, until, until somebody asks us to stop really. It turns out to be quite an interesting way to uh, make friends and uh, get to know people and uh, it's great to always have that piece of common ground um, to talk about when you're at car shows and things. It's that magical thing of when the bonnet goes up there's always some people talking to you um, but also sometimes when you put kind of something in your window letting people know some of the differences in things um, that always draws people's attention and they want to talk to you about uh, things like Peggy's manifold and gearboxes and stuff like that. point really. Um, quite recently I was contacted by uh, the Historic Car and Vehicle Alliance who uh, are based in Vista Heritage who are working to try and uh, tackle some of the things that are affecting uh, the classic car industry and uh, we had a kind of discussion about some of the things that they're concerned about and one of the things that um, Gary, the CEO, raised with me was something I hadn't even heard of, um, but actually could be a huge problem for me being able to use Peggy um, and also continue to make changes and improve her as a daily driver. And it wasn't something I'd kind of been massively aware of, and so I thought it might be a, quite an interesting thing to kind of talk about on the podcast. Unfortunately, has quite a broad definition within the document. 
and this is where we start to see some issues being raised. So what do we mean by tackling tampering according to the uh, future of transport regulatory review? It's going to include two main offences which uh, could be problematic for those of us with classic cars. The first includes uh, the supplying, fitting or producing of what they refer to as a tampering product. Um, and tampering products, according to the document, is anything that might uh, change the vehicle and not be kind of original and, and poses kind of a, a risk to the car. And secondly, it can involve the removing or impacting of performance or anything that is to do with the kind of system or parts or components of a car that um, is kind of removed or changed or altered in any way. Which, again, if this is a modern car and uh, we've got issues with kind of people making changes that are, are dangerous to the cars or are perhaps going to alter their kind of efficiency or anything like that, then that is obviously something that is uh, needs to be addressed. But as classic car owners, we've got the issue of whether this affects us um, because Whilst the document states that they do not intend it to impact people like classic car restorers or individuals who are restoring, repairing um, classic cars, the way that it sounds suggests some issue with anything that's not originality. And currently there's not enough specific kind of information within this uh, document to really address the fact that not all classic cars are original and some of the changes that we make to our classic cars can actually be beneficial and somewhat modernising. Um, Peggy herself has some of these examples, um, but the way that it's, it's phrased, it could even come down to the fact that none of us run on the old style tyres anymore. We all have these modern tyres and they technically don't fit with kind of originality and uh, and is changing and altering a part or a component. Um, on top of that we've got things um, like uh, Peggy's manifold. Um, it's not her original manifold, it's fitted up to a bigger board uh, exhaust and um, it's a kind of a period fitted piece but it's also um, not one that I know when it was fitted, it's not something that I've got kind of noted down in the documentation, um, but I know that it was a period alteration that could be made. Um, and of course her gearbox, Peggy's got a 5 speed uh, Sierra Type 9 gearbox, and again it's something that's actually potentially made her uh, more usable, more uh, safe at kind of higher speeds and things like that but is actually something that could be classed as tampering. We've also got a, a brake servo within Peggy um, that helps with kind of improving the quickness of the brakes. And just yesterday I was very thankful for the fact that I had that brake servo um, when I had to do quite a, a severe stop because of some other idiot on the road. Um, so that's improving the safety. 
but according to this document that could be classed as tampering because there isn't enough kind of specific information being put there about protecting uh, some of these changes that we make to our cars to make them usable or if the parts aren't available. I know people that have kind of the chassis and bodies of cars that are uh, rarer, much harder to get the parts for and so have an, as an alternative fitted the engine from uh, a later car or a different car uh, to preserve kind of that image of the car um, in a way that would be sustainable for them to replace parts. I think some of the biggest issue we've got with the wording within this document is this term legitimate, um, which could take away the hobby for some people. Um, the kind of particular phrasing around this kind of exception that they're making for classic cars um, and motorbikes and things like that is legitimate changes to uh, and restorations and things like that. Now, does legitimate mean that it would need to have been done at a professional garage by somebody? Because a lot of us do the work on our cars by ourselves. It's what makes them affordable. It's what a lot of us enjoy with our cars. And if we then had to make everything that we had done be done at a garage to get that legitimate seal of approval, it would not only make the hobby uh, very different for people, but it would also price a lot of people out of the hobby. For example, young people who are hoping to learn how to maintain these cars um, and look after them, if they then have to kind of actually remove that aspect and go to garages for them, then that creates something that they perhaps can't afford anymore. Um, addressing another problem that we're seeing within the, uh, the industry of a lack of young people. Another issue we see with that phrasing is that use of classic cars. Um, which presumably fits that idea of cars that are rolling over 40 years old um, in the same way that our, our tax and our um, insurance and um, MOTs and things is all considered. Um, but actually we've got this kind of very niche period, which I guess falls under what most people refer to as retro cars, um, that have already seen a lot of damage from legislation created by the government. So, for example, a lot of... Uh, more unusual cars from the 80s and 90s and even early 2000s were massively impacted by the scrappage scheme in terms of their numbers, their availability um, and their survival rate. And so these cars would not be protected by this uh, kind of classic car um, term and actually these cars are often our entry cars into the scene for some people as well as potentially future classics, which is a, a massively dwindling pool thanks to things like the scrappage scheme already. But if people can't make the changes in things because, oh, this part's not available because of how many cars were scrapped and things, then those cars aren't gonna be saved for future generations. And it really takes away this idea of actually being able to recycle and reuse 
that a lot of people really enjoy about our classic car and retro car scene. It also, I think, needs to be noted that whilst we're very keen to work and protect our own cars as classic car owners, um, there's other scenes that are car scenes that have uh, an appreciation and things like that for us, uh, such as kind of the, the modified scene uh, on more modern cars um, that could massively be affected by this. And that also brings in kind of money and industry for the country, but also, again, can be a gateway for some young people to get into classic cars. Um, I know some young people that are into kind of more modern um, modification cars and things like that, um, but they have an appreciation and an interest in my car and things, for example, and um, that wouldn't necessarily always translate to someone being able to, uh, being interested in buying a classic car, but it creates more advocates and people who would help stand up for the classic car movement. And so really by pricing them out or by removing that hobby for them, we lose people that are just generally interested in cars. Um, and again, these could be our younger future people who are interested in, in looking after the much wider car scene, which could include our classic cars, our retro cars, our vintage cars. The interesting thing about kind of having this discussion, um, not only um, on here, but also um, with uh, Gary from the HCBA, um, is that I actually teach about the creation of policy. Um, it's one of the kind of topics that I talk about. It tends to generally be much more about um, crime and criminal justice related policy, but the kind of discussions that we have are still very relevant to the creation of pieces of um, consultation and policy such as this. Um, and when I'm kind of teaching this and we're talking about pieces of legislation that have been introduced, we use the terms um, rational and symbolic. And this is the idea that actually sometimes pieces of policy aren't always made with kind of the most amount of research, the widest level of consideration and um, aren't always rational, but are instead a symbolic way that governments can stand up at uh, conventions or world events and things like that and say, look, we've implemented this policy to address this problem and um, we're really um, on the ball about it and uh, really keen to kind of crack down on it. And obviously a big topic that people like members of government and also kind of much more widely companies and things want to be seen to be doing is cracking down on um, things to do with emissions, things to do with uh, the kind of safety of the roads and vehicles and things like that and all of this is um, almost uh, an explanation as to why we're seeing 
this policy introduced, it does feel, in kind of my mind, uh, as, as someone who kind of studies and investigates policy um, for some of my job, um, is quite a symbolic thing that has been introduced to kind of tick some wider boxes about um, how we look on kind of the world stage and things like that, but is lacking at the moment some elements of rationality and is lacking uh, greater definition and much more kind of well-defined, easy to understand, easy to um, address uh, and for to remove the kind of concern that people are starting to have about this policy. And so that doesn't mean that if it is introduced it's going to be symbolic, there still is work being done on this piece of legislation. However, at the moment, having read through the document, if I was to kind of hand the hat to my students and ask them to kind of look through uh, the historical context of the policy, look through kind of the wider consultations and research that's been done, uh, a lot of the things that are kind of very topical in the media, which is what we do with uh, criminal justice policy and things like that, I think a lot of them would come back and say, well, actually, this feels, at the moment, lacking in uh, the rationality of uh, a final piece of legislation that you could say was honestly there to improve and modernise vehicle standards, um, because it's not considering all of the vehicles that are currently on Britain's roads. Just to kind of wrap up here, I'd like to kind of bring your attention back to the Historic Car and Vehicle Alliance, who I mentioned uh, kind of throughout this podcast, who kind of brought this topic to my attention. Um, like I said, I had a very interesting call with uh, Gary, their CEO, um, about a few different topics. Um, and they're one of uh, a few agencies that are kind of in the classic car air arena at the moment that are really kind of keeping their eyes peeled for stuff like this, doing a lot of work to make sure that we can continue to enjoy our hobby and have um, a kind of an environment that is still quite positive for classic cars to take part in. And um, I think that's a really worthy cause um, for all of these agencies to be in um, involved in. Um, but I think it's well worth kind of checking out some of the stuff that the HCVA are doing. Um, they've got a, a really good website that's got lots of kind of news stories and things popping up on. And if I'd have been a bit more on the ball, I'd have seen their kind of topics about this being raised and some of the stuff that they've done with um, lawyers and consultants about kind of really deep diving into this policy document. Um, so they have kind of memberships and things that you can get involved in if you'd like to um, to kind of support them and um, that gives you access to some events and things like that um, but also just make use of all of these sorts of things that exist if you're a classic car owner um, so that you kind of have an awareness of what's going on in the scene um, but you're also able um, to uh, make sure that you've got any opportunities to advocate for things that are a problem for you and your car.
thank you very much for listening uh, I hope you've enjoyed this uh, podcast and uh, perhaps you've learned or heard something about this policy that you hadn't previously um, and you're going to go and do some more research into it if you already had an awareness or you've already got some thoughts I'd love to hear them you've obviously got the opportunity to leave a comment down on the YouTube channel um, but or, or you can message me on any of the social medias and I'd love to have a chat to some of you about it. Thanks again for listening, drive safely and happy motoring.